Blue Wire. To the end zone he goes. Where Sammy is. Boyd with a great fake. Touchdown, Taj. Hopkins throws to Boyd. Lean means touchdown throwing machine tonight, and he's got another one. Boyd. Welcome back to the Taj Boyd Podcast. Hope you all are gearing up for a very Merry Christmas. You know, we got a special bowl game coming up here. Clemson Tigers are taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I wanted to make sure that I could grab somebody from that space to tie back into this bowl game that's about to occur. Now, this guy that I have on is a stud, right? Two-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, three-time consensus All-American, went on to do fantastic things in the NFL, and, man, he is living his best life. He is currently a broadcaster and an announcer for the Big Ten Network. And I'm just thrilled for you guys to hear the message that he's about to tell you. Now, you may hear a little bit of a difference in the dialogue because I'm talking to him on a cell phone. But nonetheless, you still get great quality, great clarity. And, uh, you know, he's not one for a loss of words here. So excited to bring you guys James Laurinaitis, big-time player, for well the big time buckeyes so hope you guys enjoy if you haven't already make sure you hit that subscribe button and also rate this thing we're trying to get it going so appreciate you guys for tuning in to the Todd boy podcast all right so today i'm joined by one of the most ferocious defenders in ohio state history in the big 10 history in the ncaa history this is family man now, but formerly linebacker, James Laurinaitis. James, appreciate you joining me for the Taj Boy podcast, buddy. No, it's great to be with you, man. I appreciate it. Of course, man. You know, obviously, I've watched a lot of, of your games, and, you know, it's close to being a Buckeye, actually. And you got a chance to play for a really, really fantastic human being, Jim Trestle, and he's still one of my favorite guys. Um, but uh, you are from – you're from way away. You know, you're from Wayzata, Minnesota. I want to go That's back right. and dive back into your childhood because obviously there are some very interesting things here. But you know, a space like that, were you the only child? Did you have brothers or sisters? Yeah, man, I have uh, I had an older brother um, who served in the military and was over in Iraq um, for a little bit, and then I have a younger sister who uh, is a couple of years younger than me. So I'm the middle child between us, and. Uh, yeah, growing up in, in Minnesota, um, that, that's difficult. I know it's a tough, tough high school to say. It's Y Zeta. Why Zeta? Yeah, you're like, hold on, W A Y Z A T A. How is that Y Zeta? But um, yeah, it's it, you know it was it was it was great. I never thought big time college football was in my future. Um, just love playing the game of football and also played hockey, which you don't have a choice growing up in Minnesota. For sure, play hockey. Um, and it was. Just kind of one year after another, just kept getting invited to play football, it seemed like, and just kept going until they told me I couldn't anymore. Well, I'll tell you what, man, middle child, obviously, I think that, uh, I'm not sure if it fits your personality, maybe it does, but that that even killness, you know, to really be able to empathize at a high level um, is something that, that I have exhibited. Um, I'm sure it's the same with you. But, you know, you also uh, were surrounded by athletes, too. You know, if I look at the internet, you know, it's going to tell me that, your dad was a professional wrestler that your uncles were as well. Um, you know, how was that, man? Like, how was that growing up and, and getting a chance to, did you see your pops actually go out there in the arena and on stage and, and do his thing? Yeah, man, it was, it was awesome. Um, 
he taught me work ethic, right? He taught me how hard it was uh, in his profession to try to make a living. And, and you know, pro wrestlers, uh, although, you know, the matches are staged and this, that, or whatever, they got to be working out hard to stay in the best shape possible. Uh, and if you say, you know, you don't really get an off-season in pro wrestling unless you get hurt or suspended. So he just got to keep going week after week. Um, I got to see firsthand. My mom also was a um, was a power lifter up until she had me. And so I had really good genetics. I had really good um, insight in the diet and such, uh, how to work hard, how to get after it in the weight room. And, um, yeah, they both they both worked hard and, and taught me kind of if I wanted to achieve something, it wasn't going to be easy. It was all going to be through hard work and, and dedication. Well, since your mom was a power lifter as well, I'm assuming that you lifted weights uh, pretty early on. Do you believe that lifting early stunts growth for children? Is that fact or fiction? Yeah, see, my dad didn't let me lift till high school. He wouldn't let me lift till uh, my freshman year, summer going into my freshman year. Uh, now, there'd be plenty of times I went to the gym with him, but he wouldn't let me actually work out until because he, he believed that lifting too early was going to stunt growth. Um, I haven't really thought too much about it. You know, having two daughters, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure either one is going to want to get in there and crush iron. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, you have to be careful, I think, with heavy strength training. Um, but, I mean, as far as, you know, cardio stuff, I'm not sure it's a terrible thing. It's just one thing I appreciate about my parents is that they, they wanted me to play all sports, yeah. right? They didn't want me just to specialize in anything. They wanted me to – play hockey i played baseball through freshman year and then once i got into high school i really wanted to focus on one or the other um but yeah it, it was about i wasn't going to specialize in anything i wanted to go play it all and just compete and try to be a well-rounded athlete yeah um and obviously i think that's important for many reasons hand-eye coordination just getting a chance to because when you step into this role at some point you hope to become a leader uh within any team that you play for so be able to surround yourself with different guys on different arenas um with different mentalities is pretty special and obviously you going to ohio state and playing for such a heralded university um you know it's some things that come with that as well and uh sounds like to me man you were well groomed for growing up um but you know this linebacker position you know this is most kids, you know, when they grow up, they want to play the skilled positions, right? They want to be a running back. They want to be a quarterback. They want to be wide receiver. Um, is this something that just kind of found you, or is this you wanted to take your aggression out and be a banger out there? Yeah, well, my dad was my coach all the way through <laughs> eighth grade, right? So he wanted me to, you know, but looking back, I'm not sure we had the most head-safe drills. <laughs> um, you know, it was one of those set the, set the agile bags about five yards apart. Uh, give a couple lanes, no juking, just go, you know, full speed. And I think he tried to set it up for me to just crush people. <laughs> I, I liked, I played quarterback. Um, and then once I got to freshman year, I was like, you know what? This is, this is probably not my future. Um, <laughs> wasn't that good at actually reading defenses and all that stuff. Um, you know, growing up fourth through eighth grade, I played with a kid. He's, he's actually now the captain on the Winnipeg Jets in the NHL. But he was, he was that kid that was always like, Six one when everyone else was still five seven, and he was my wideout. So I just dropped back, boom, go route, throw it up. He would boss people, and so that was my quarterback skills. Once that was over, and actually people grew and caught up, I was like, oh, now I'm in trouble. So I played. I always played, you know, uh, QB and and linebacker. And once I realized that one was in my future, the other wasn't, I went tight end linebacker. This is kind of how I found my spot. 
Yeah, and and did playing quarterback growing up help you in that linebacker role, being able to visualize, being able to see, or kind of anticipate what was going to happen out there? Yeah, because you know what did it, it help me? Um, you know, it helped me understand kind of just the the overall flow of an offense in general. Understand kind of what the quarterback would see as far as coverages, how he would. Because when you're getting coached up that way, you, you're you're seeing the defense all different. Like what what what's giving away cover two or cover three? You know, yeah. what I mean, it has at least helped me be conscious of it. In high school, where I think a lot of kids might not get that deep into it until college, out in high school, I was aware of, okay, they might see me lined up here in this defense, but if I'm only lined up this way in this scheme and I change it up, I'm giving it away, right? I'm making it easy on the opposing team. And so it had really helped me think in, in that aspect. And, and to be honest, Taj, I, I was never the most um, athletic kid on any of the teams I played on, right? A lot of my stuff was anticipation and yeah. trying to, you know, study the game to, to – use my, I guess, lack of athleticism to try to, you try to equate that with someone else's skill by, by anticipation and really knowing. I tell people all the time when, I, when I'm on my radio show, I said, look, man, when you're predictable on offense and you have tendencies, like it's easy to cover when you know what route's coming. <laughs> yeah. like, it's when you don't and you're reacting that the athletic mismatches happen. So, you know, I try to do my best to kind of be that way. But yeah, I think playing both ways in general just helps you understand not only just the, the passing and, and all of that, the route combinations, uh, kind of what they're trying to get, you know, how they're trying to attack you, but also running lanes, right? yeah. like how running backs are trying to set up uh, the blockers and, and that stuff as well. Well, and I, I tell people all the time that, you know, playing multiple positions does give you di- just a different vantage point. Um, you know, I, I frequently get asked, you know, why is DeAndre Hopkins as good as he is? And, you know, one of the things that I always come back to is that he played quarterback growing up. So, Instead of him just, you know, getting out there and running a route that was on paper, he understood how the coverages worked. He understood linebacker alignment, safety position, and he would find the gaps and the holes in that defense. So if you ever look at the Houston Texas games, you can look for Deshaun trying to find Hopkins on that third down because he knows that he's going to put him in a good position to, to get that first down. But, you know, two of my favorite players, you know, obviously Ray Lewis being one, Tom Brady being the other, they said something, and it could have been many, many years ago, but it's always kind of stuck with me and it resonates with me. And towards the back end of Ray Lewis's career, they asked him how he was still able to play at such a high level. And he says, look, he was like, I don't run four, 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 five. He was like, I play, I run four, nine. He was like, but these young kids come in where they don't understand what they're doing. They play four, nine, although they may run four, 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 five. And the way that I play, since I'm able to understand everything that's happening on the field, I understand my assignment, the next person besides me assignment. I'm able to play at more efficient level than they are. And I just thought that that was so vital. And then Tom Brady said, they asked him about his retirement. And Tom said, well, why would I, why would I stop now when I'm just starting to get the hang of this thing right here? And I'm like, oh man, that's golden right there. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very spot on because you, know, you can have a young linebacker that comes and sits in there. It could be any position. You take one or two wrong steps in big time college football, yeah. pro football, and, you know, that, that speed just uh, – and it's not even just the fact that guys run fast. Guys run fast, I mean, there's a lot of fast guys out there. But we yeah. talk about you take one wrong step and you thought it was run and it's play action. Mm-hmm. How am I going to pivot? I mean, I, when I got drafted to the Rams, we had Delaney Walker and Vernon Davis both on the Niners. <laughs> I mean, you're not catching them on a deep over. If you, <laughs> right. if you don't have great anticipation, you're not catching up. But 
if I if I read it and understand that maybe their stance is a little different, or in this set they like to, or just down in distance they love to run the bootleg, I can anticipate, I can you know get a good jump start on them, I can wall them off with my body. Well, if that young guy runs a four four, he might be able to recover better, but that ball's still out and on the money before he can he can react in those first two steps. So it is a bunch about anticipation uh, and just film study, and that's obviously why Ray was so good and and why Tom is is elite and is still good. Yeah, and I, you know what? I'm over here looking. I think you undersold your hockey ability just a tad bit, man. You know, apparently <laughs> you were, just, you were a dog out there. So. I think it's one of those things where people, you know, I don't want to be the guy to ever be like, oh, man, if I could have, if I would have just kept playing, I would have <laughs> A lot of the NHL guys, I have so much respect for the sport. Um, just because you receive a few phone calls from, from NHL teams inquiring about you. Yeah. I don't like to equate that to, oh, yeah, I could have played in the NHL. Now, right. if I would have completely dedicated myself to it, could I have? Maybe, maybe. But uh, things worked out football, so I don't I don't like to make it more than what it is. Well, I want <clears throat> to talk about what waves that a little bit in high school that you attended because, you know, with the sports that you played, um, you know, what kind of – because all of this ties back. I mean, I love to talk about culture, philosophy, mentality, the grooming of young men as they continue to evolve into adulthood. Um, you're a high school coach. You know, first off, what kind of high school was it? What kind of team did you have? And what were the things that your high school coach implemented within you then that still exist now? Yeah. So, you know, we went to a big high school. Um, I graduated with 890 kids. Jeez. Uh, we, uh, it's a very uh, wealthy school. It's in suburban Minneapolis. Uh, so it's about 20 minutes, uh, 35 minutes northwest of downtown. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was competitive because there's so many kids, right? So right. I could have a 3A GPA and still be in like the 60th percentile. <laughs> you know, you're like, hold on a second. Like, how's everyone? I don't understand how we have so many smart, but um, right. very competitive. But my high school, so you had to wait. Like I didn't start high school till junior year. Um, they don't let any freshman play on the varsity team. We wow. have a freshman team because you just have you have 120 kids on your freshman team, right? And then you know a lot of those kids realize that they can't make it, and won't even try out when they get to sophomore for varsity. Um, so sophomore year, I did you know, some special teams and. Uh, we had a sophomore team as well in a sophomore league, but then you could play six quarters throughout the week. So if you played all four in that sophomore game, you could only play two on varsity. Hmm. That's kind of the way it worked up here. Um, but then, you know, you go through it and all that. And I think it was Brad Anderson's my high school coach and my defensive coordinator, who I worked with more, Matt Lombardi, uh, who has moved on to be head coach at a high school up there called Maple Grove. He taught me uh, a lot about the kind of plays I needed to make to get recruited, but then also how to prepare. Right. right. And, and it was, I remember sitting there drawing up practice cards for the scout team with him. And we played a lot, a lot of teams up there uh, used to run the wing T, right? So if you're a linebacker, you better know where those guards are going in the wing T offense. You better follow those guards that are taking the ball. So I would draw up a lot of their schemes and how uh, an outside play with a pole looked different than a trap and all this and, and really honed in on all of that. And then, they really taught me how do you handle yourself as, you know, how do you handle and make those decisions as that you're going to have that peer pressure like every kid has in high school. How are you going to make the decision of, you know what, I don't want to make a selfish decision for me that's going to hurt my teammates and ultimately affect our team down the stretch if I get in trouble with, mm. with whatever, right? And it's it's a, 
tough situation. You can hear it from your mom and dad all the time. And, right. But when you hear from a coach as well, and it puts it in the perspective of, you know, gosh, maybe I want to go to this party. Maybe I want to make this decision. But if it's not just affecting me, it's affecting my guys. Like, nah, man, I don't want to. Gosh, I would hate for our season to get derailed because of a selfish act that I made, right? So that's that's part of the conundrum that he helped um, teach me, and and uh, I'm thankful for them. And obviously, playing for Coach Trestle, that just that just you know that was that was one of those things that escalated because Trust was so intentional about right. building young men. Man, that's awesome right there. So you learned accountability, responsibility early on, uh, which is vital because so many times, especially when you talk about high-level recruits, they may not always necessarily get that. And what's funny, man, is like I remember, you know, and I, I thought I was a pretty humble kid for the most part, you know. I uh, was never the best player on any team that I played on, knew that I had to work to get where I wanted. Um, but I stepped on that college campus for the first time. In my, in my first 707, I do three interceptions back to back to back. And I remember being like, this is a lot different than I anticipated. Um, and so you get like these guys that come from all over the, all over the country, right? From the Northeast to the West coast, they get thrust into this environment. And you got a bunch of guys who were the best at what they did, where they went to their respective high schools. And so you got a bunch of alphas in the room yep. and, you know, you play behind, you know, obviously you, you end up being, you know, James Laurinaitis, but you also play behind a Bobby Carpenter too. And so sitting behind a guy like that, you know, what was your approach? Because there may be some high school kids that are listening to this. What was your approach and your mentality as you walked on to that campus for the first time? Well, yeah, I mean, gosh, I was, a, you know, just a three-star with two offers, right? So I had Minnesota and then Ohio State. And you get there, and you know, like you mentioned, you know about a Bobby Carpenter. You know about Anthony Schlegel, who's an all-big-time player. And, yeah. Uh, A.J. Hawk, you know, who's an all-American. So you know about all of them. And so you're like, okay, I, I understand these guys, but I didn't know about the backups, right? Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. these the guys that were behind them. We had a guy, Marcus Freeman, who's now the coordinator at, at the University of Cincinnati. He was in McDonald's, all, or uh, not the, the U.S. Army, excuse me, All-American, right? He right. was playing in that game. And I'm like, I didn't even get an invite. <laughs> you know, I didn't even get in that game. And yet here this guy, I had no idea, idea about him. Or I remember a Curtis Terry from Glenville, or yeah. Mike Andrea, who was a five star from uh, Avon Lake up in Northern Ohio, and you're like, "Gosh, I had no idea about these guys." Because all you saw coming from Minnesota is who's who starting, right? Um, and so I promised myself when I showed up, I was going to do whatever it took um, to copy their work habits, right? So it was whether it was two days, we were still doing two days then. So when you go back and do two days, I'm like, well, if these guys are going to do a workout at a certain time, I'm going to copy them. I'm just going to be right behind them because obviously all three of them were all Big Ten, so they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and it was extremely tough. And it was never easy that first year. Uh, like you said, you were the man in high school, right? So then you show up and now you're like, hold on, why am I third string? A fourth string? All right. <laughs> um, and just by – you know, certain injuries through camp, I, you know, I end up getting sprung in the second, you know, getting the second string, and then, you know, I'm riding out as a backup all year when I thought I was going to redshirt. And I really, there was times my freshman year where it was like, man, especially in camp, like, there's no way I'm going to see the field here in the next couple of years. These dudes are good. Yeah. And then you start to mature yourself, and you stay at it, and you stay with the same work habits, and your body grows up, and they develop you with the strength staff and all that, and then you make a, a play or two. And then once you make a play or two, right, it's that confidence. Like it's hard to have confidence until you make a play. You make a play or two in practice, and you're like, "Oh, well, maybe I can do it at this right. level." 
and then you start growing and then you start once you display you can make plays and people start respecting you when you speak up and it's kind of this thing that happens organically but it's never easy you know and nothing worth it you know ever is so it's, it's a grind no, i love that right there that's some good stuff and that would probably be the name for the podcast it's never easy because it damn sure isn't you know um, <laughs> all right. So you, you go through that year, uh, you learn a lot and damn, you don't just jump on the scene. You take over the scene. So your second year, your sophomore season, um, you guys make the national championship appearance, um, obviously, but you went on to have an all American year and you won the Bronco Nagurski award. All right. And don't, they don't just give those out slappies, you know? So that off season, all right. From winter, of 2005 to spring, summer of 2006. What changed in that time period? Oh, buddy, a lot. I mean, you know, when when I was starting, uh, you know, my sophomore year and your, gosh, your, your first time, your first crack at it, and you become an All-American, a lot of stuff changes. You win yeah. that award, and you're, you're like, okay, well, now there's expectations. Mm-hmm. Um I have an, I had an unbelievable linebacker coach, the coordinator, and Luke Fickle. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And who's now the head coach of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. He basically made me feel like I'd accomplish a dang thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like you didn't respect what I did, right? But it was just the idea of you can be so much better. And he wanted me to have that mentality. And so it was this constant striving that I think a lot of us had that are competitive to play that perfect game, right? Or to find areas in our game that, man, like even though I, when I watched film, I never looked back and watched film at the plays that I made. It was always the ones that I missed that still bother me to this day. Um, And it's that constant striving of, I didn't want to focus on any successes, but I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, fixing any kind of loopholes in my game. And, And I owe all that to Luke Fickle. And then quite honestly, as you know, being at a big time school, like when when you get recruited there, not only are they always trying to recruit to replace you, mm-hmm. but it's like the fan base has such ADD that they're always <laughs> so hung up on the next class, right? Like Absolutely. it's all like who's next. So we, we can sit here and appreciate. I mean, now we sit here and appreciate Chase Young, but it's like, oh, who's the next Chase Young? Like who's next in recruiting? Like can we just appreciate the guy that's doing <laughs> you know unreal things? But that's when you're in big time college football. That's part of the deal. It's that. That wheel of recruiting is always pushing your your roster forward. So when you're a sophomore three star, you just got all American. You do look at the recruiting link and see, oh, we've got a five star Mike linebacker out of LA. Okay, all right, that's what y'all. That's how y'all feel. You know, like it's that you kind of find whatever it is and keep motivating yeah. you to get better and to not stay still. Finding that chip, and uh, yep. you know, there's been a lot of a uh, there's been a lot of conversation about Joe Burrow and. How people are saying that he created this chip that didn't exist, you know, and um, it was like, look, you know, we think that the kid is the best player in college football. He's one of my favorite players altogether. I mean, I just love the way he plays the game, the tenacity, the intensity, his approach. But, you know, he wasn't like a small recruit either. You know, he had some pretty big offers coming out. Right, he wasn't um, football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't a, a terrible player that just kind of found himself. But, you know, when you when I'm talking to these kids, man. They do get caught up in that. And it's easy to get caught up in the lights, too. You know, look, when I took my visit to Ohio State, you know, still one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was, and I couldn't even bring myself to it, so I actually never picked up the phone. But when I decided (laughs) that I was going to sign to Clemson, Trestle called me like nine times. Um, 
And I remember going into the Woody Hayes Center and I'm walking in and I'm walking in with Eddie George and Terrell Pryor's there and Beanie's floating around somewhere and Michael Brewster was there and they got all the trophies laid out and they got these little chocolate, those Buckeyes. Oh my gosh, bro. With the peanut butter inside, still <laughs> fantastic. And like, you know, the best, and, and some people have heard the story. Most people haven't, but it was, it was so hard for me not to play for Ohio state, not to play for Jim Trussell because of the culture that was already developed, you know? And he was like, Taj, he sat down in my living room and Jim was like, Taj, you know how big Ohio state's alumni base is. He was like, how big? He was like, Taj, I went to Paris. Okay. He said, I went to the Eiffel Tower, got all the way to the top, and I yelled out OH. He was like, from the ground, in about six seconds, I heard IO. He was like, Taj, we're everywhere. And I was like, my God, how can I not come here, you know? Yep. And um, with a guy like that, though, and his his enthusiasm, his optimism, obviously the love that, that he had for you guys, you know, what are some of the things that that he taught you about life, about being a man, about growing. Um, because I know he had that effect on you and I just want to be able to take some from him to apply to other people's lives as well. The same way coach Sweeney does for me. Yeah. I mean, he, he had this thing, he called it his block of life. Um, and at the top of it would be, um, spirituality mm-hmm. on one end. It would be, you know, one end of the block O would be academics. The other one would be family. And at the way bottom was football. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are some others, there's charity and there's friendships. And, and, but the idea was your freshman year, you had to write out goals. And it wasn't just like, you couldn't be lazy with it either because you knew you were going to meet with him again junior year and right. go over these. So it'd be, hey, what are three goals you want to accomplish in your spiritual life, short-term, long-term, uh, football, short-term, long-term, uh, all these things. And you're like, when you're 18 years old and you're on campus, you're like, all right, man, like, what do you mean long-term spiritual goals or long-term, you know, charity goals or what? And so, but it, he made you think it out because you knew it was like, all right, teacher, <laughs> the teacher is going to review these with you in a couple of years. So <laughs> he, he wanted to make you think about things when it came to goal setting, when it came to your life, stuff that really mattered. He made, that's why he would make us in camp do uh, quiet time every morning, which was just the first five minutes of a, of a team meeting training camp, you know, you go through the motions and you're tired and you're sore and you're the same routine. First five minutes, he'd pick a topic in his binder of stuff that he gave to everybody. And it could be attitude. And you sit there for five minutes, dead quiet, but you knew at the end of it, he was going to call on about five to 10 guys. Give me a quote. Like what quote you like, what struck with you, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he made you write in every day in your little, that same binder, three things you were grateful or thankful for. And it was just a, it was a, it was a conscious effort to make us understand how grateful we should be to be playing at Ohio state for not only the people in the military that have obviously made it available to us for people that have come before us at Ohio state that, you know, we are, we are basically playing at a place that was built upon their backs. Like it, it was just this constant thankfulness for what we get to do. And, um, it, it was, it was awesome. And it helped you, it helped you grow. You didn't have a choice. And that's why so many guys, uh, you know, still keep up with them. He keep, he has an uncanny ability to remember everybody's name in your family. Wow. Uh, you know, and he never gives up on anybody. You know what I mean? That's the one thing about Jim is that he will, he will never give up on a former player. And, um, you know, I think he's doing great things up at Youngstown state as president as well. Yeah. Yeah. Huge coaching, coaching history from uh, Youngstown as well. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so finished up. Uh, again, I mean, I'm over here skipping past this like it's not a huge deal, like you weren't that guy. But you did some amazing things, obviously, at Ohio State. Again, three-time All-American consensus. Uh, first two-time Big Ten defensive player of the year. Obviously, those are huge accomplishments. But you get drafted to the Rams. All right, and when you sat down, were you, you were sitting with your family, I'm assuming, yeah? Yeah. And that TV was there. You get that phone call. What was that emotion like? Oh, man. Um, it, it's it's overwhelming, you know, because it's something that you have as a dream as a kid, but you're not really sure it's attainable, right? right. Um, and just the idea of, like, someone, I, I'm going to go to a NFL city and have an opportunity to play NFL football. Like, it's crazy, right? It's still – it still kind of blows my mind that I got to play in the NFL. Um, It's just, it's a surreal experience. And on one hand, you're like, gosh, a lot of hard work to get you here. But on the other hand, you're like, how the heck did I get here? (laughs) So it's a dual, kind of a dual feeling. That's awesome, man. And what was, you know, when you stepped out there and you got into that locker room for the first time, did it, did you have those same emotions as the first time you walked to Ohio State or was it different because of where you were drafted at and, you know, the expectations that they have for you coming into it? Yeah, you know, it was the same. It was the same. When I went there, it was a um, – I knew I was going to be competing with, like, a 12-year vet at Mike Linebacker, but I knew also why they drafted me. And uh, oddly enough, just like in college, how I had someone get hurt in the first game and that – took me from third string to second string and from redshirt to not redshirting, right? And the, the second, I think it was the second preseason game at Cincinnati, um, our Mike linebacker had a kind of an asthma reaction. Right. So I get thrust into the starting lineup. I was a backup and had been rotating through series, and I just get to play the whole preseason game. And I basically took over the starting position from there. Um, <laughs> really random kind of events that gave me an opportunity to, you know, you prepare for it. So once it's there, you got to capitalize, but um, still some moments where you're just like, wow, how did that even occur? And, and then you're just trying to, again, it's just playing football, man. You're trying to make plays. You're trying not to be the reason that, that, that anything is struggling on defense. And we, St. Louis is in a bad spot at that time. I think they just got through a stretch of 15 to 65. And you were hoping that you were going to be one of the foundational pieces to turn around, which we never did get turned around, but you wanted to be a reason why uh, a sense of pride for the fans and, and really wanted to uh, be a positive. And I think when you're playing pro ball, and you know, a lot of people ask you, yeah, how do you keep playing through those seasons? I'm like, man, if you love football, it's easy because they're giving you a nice check to do it. And if you love it, there's no, there's no motivation needed. Yeah. And at some point, was there any time and place where you sat there and you was like, this isn't the same game that I played as a kid? Um, yeah, you know, when you're, there's certain moments that like be that first off season, right. You kind of get the feeling of like, Oh wait, why is he's cut? <laughs> wait, what? Like, Awesome, man. All right. Now, transition from from athlete to pretty much civilian, okay? There's been some some sort of, uh, of segue for all of us, you know. Either you retire on your own, you get hurt, you're just not good enough anymore. 
either way, a lot of guys that have played deal with the same issues. And a lot of it stems back to, you know, you being in isolation, pretty much you not being surrounded by a team. Um, how was that transition for you different? Well, it was, I mean, it was hard. I think, you know, a lot of times you, you think you're prepared for it. Um, but you're right. Like we've had the same schedule for our lives since yeah. high school. You play, oh, fall's here. We're going to play. Uh, now, it, you know, it's this time in the spring. It's time to start thinking about spring ball, off-season workouts. It's constantly a, a, your football schedule is a 365 deal. And that's taking away from you. And you always know the NFL train is going to keep rolling on without you. It's just when you're not in a locker room and you're not surrounded by that's the things you miss. I don't miss tackles. I don't miss all that, right? I don't miss the prep much. It's it's the it's the feeling of being in that locker room. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the thing, right? It's those relationships. It's those things that are um, what you're going to miss. And and that's been the harder thing. So you try to fill it up. You know, you wonder what's next. You wonder what you're going to do. Um, for me, I was gonna, I was making a decision between coaching and, and media stuff. I chose media because I wanted to be around my daughters. Right. Um, but there's still something in you that makes you want to jump in and coach every now and again, right? Because you're <laughs> used to being in there. Yeah. You feel like you have so much knowledge of the game. You want to give it back. And, and not only just the knowledge of football and being in a locker room, it's, it's helping young people today just become men and, and make better choices. And just, I remember thinking all the guys that were my biggest influencers besides my parents were my coaches. Yeah. And how can you help someone uh, as well in that? So those are still things that you wrestle with here and there. I love the game of football. That's why I do media. That's why I try to cover it fairly. Um, well, obviously I love Ohio state. So I do the local show show here as well and do some stuff with big Ten network. But there's always still some of you in the back of your mind. It's like, man, you know, is coaching meant for you? And that might be at a different level, right? That might be going up and just volunteering at a local high school, right? right. And just trying to get your hands on with some young kids uh, going through high school. So it, it's it's all there. But so that first year is weird because you're trying to search, trying to find uh, kind of what's next for you. And, and while you're going through that, for me, I went through that at 30. Yeah. So I'm going through that at 30 while all my friends from college who didn't play ball, they're getting promoted. Right, like they're starting to climb in their profession. Yeah. They're starting to actually reach a certain level where you're like, all right, well, my first profession is done. Now what? Now you're starting over at thirty. Um, and look, I'm grateful. I'm not owning any pity party at all. Like I'm grateful for it because obviously you're taking care of well in the NFL, but it's, it still is a, a little bit of adjustment. It is, man. It is indeed, James. All right, now the broadcasting stuff is fantastic. Um, you know, I think that's every for the most part, most athletes dream job is to get back and stay around it some way or another, like you said. So either coaching, talking it, being around it. Um, that's really why I do this podcast. So I can somewhat be around it. And I mean, I got some I'm pretty fortunate to be able to, to spend time with a lot of these youth as well, man. They'll reach out to me. Um, yeah. want some counsel or some advice that way. Is it the same for you over at Ohio state? Yeah, absolutely. I try to, uh, I try to stick around it. Uh, I, I stopped in from time to time and, and really just try to make myself available yeah. um, because look, you, you know what they're going through, right? You understand uh, the pressures of playing big time college football and it's a burden. It's also a blessing, but you got to handle it the right way. And you just try to make yourself there for, for, for kids that if they have a question and maybe they don't feel like they can go to a coach or maybe they don't want to go to a family member and want to get somebody who's walked in their shoes I try to keep, I try to make myself available. All right. Well, that's good stuff right there. Now I want to dive into this, uh, this new Ohio state regime. 
uh, just quickly, um, Ryan Day is taking over. Obviously, he's done a fantastic job over there. I mean, I, I think that when you look at Clemson and, and Ohio State, to me, they're the two most balanced teams altogether in college football, right? Offensively, yeah. defensively, special teams-wise, which is why I thought that there was some sort of conspiracy theory to drop Ohio State to two because it didn't make sense because <laughs> they needed to get an SEC team in the championship game. But, no, when yeah. you look at this team, when you look at Chase Young, is it to the point where he is that much of a disruptor where he can change the game himself? He is. You know, Chase is a dude that he that first Wisconsin game, he was basically singled, and he wrecked shot, right? The yeah. four sacks, and then he has a big day against Penn State. And then Michigan decided, you know what, we're not going to let that happen. So we're going to slide to him, make sure the tackle and the guard are on him, and we're going to make sure the back comes over too in case he tries to go around the edge. So he's getting two or three on him every single snap since Michigan, and that, that includes that game and then, then the Big Ten title against Wisconsin the second time. So he does demand that much. What I love about Chase is he's, he's, a, he's a good young man. He's, he's smart. He works hard at it. Um, so it's not just this athletic gifted dude that can just show up and play. Like he spends a lot of time with coach Larry Johnson working on his craft and, and he's a, uh, he's a special player. So he does, you know, the problem is I, I know that Dabble is smart. He sees the tape. They're not going to let him be singled all right. night long. So they're going to come that way too. So that it, 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 you rely on the other guys. And there's a lot of guys on that roster on that D line that have four or five sacks. Um, they're going to have to step up and win their one-on-ones if Ohio State's going to be successful on defense. Sure. Yeah, man, I thought the same thing. I'm like, okay, if you got this guy who, in this last game, I mean, there's video and clips of him getting tripled, all right? Getting the, the tackle block and then you got the tight end chip, but then you got the back coming in to help. Do those other guys, like, do they step up and win those one-on-one battles? And I think that's where it's going to come down at between this game or the trenches or so. But I don't know. Like, for me, it just it feels like this Ohio State team is different than many that I've seen in the last four or five years. Um, is that something that, that you see as well? Um, or is it yeah. just, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's something, it's something there, you know, that just makes this yeah, team. Yeah, they're, they're more well-rounded, uh, Tosh. They, they got to, you know, when you look at them, you're saying to yourself, okay, where is the, where's the glaring spot teams will attack you on? And I think the difference in this team is Dwayne was a really good pocket passer, but the defense was terrible last year, right? Yeah. They were, letting everybody score on them. So they weren't a complete team. Uh, years before that, when JT was playing, you felt like, wow, is the, is the deep passing game there, right? Is it, is it all the, is the whole, are you afraid of the whole package or are you more scared of JT's ability to pull it down and run that QB power stuff that Urban loved to run? Right. Um, you know, Braxton Miller back in those days, he was electric. The same thing. Is it, is it the deep passing uh, that's still there? So there's always been something with these teams where you're like, well, that's where, that's our weakness. And Wisconsin had some big runs early in the Big Ten Championship uh, with Jonathan Taylor. That really was the first time that our run defense really had been exposed. So that makes you a little anxious going into playing Clemson. But all year long, this has been the most complete team that I've I've seen um, at Ohio State since I've been done. The question is, can they complete it? I think, you know, in this matchup Saturday, it is both teams are going to see a a speed and athleticism that maybe they haven't seen all year. Um, I know for a fact Ohio State hasn't played uh, a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. There's no, there's no way. Um, They haven't played wide receivers as athletic as, as Clemson, right? And and Etienne's a different dude. John Taylor's great. Travis Etienne's a different, a different dude. You know what I mean? So they're just different bodies. Um, 
and, and the difference too is that when you play Wisconsin, you can say, hey, we're going to line up in an eight-man front, and we're going to make sure that you guys can't run the football down our throats because that's your thing. Like, we're going to make Jack Cohn beat you where you can't do that against Clemson. You're going to have, you can't just play, hey, we're going to play, you know, single high, 3D, and stop the run because then that makes it so easy for Trevor. So, yeah. Right. They create a different attack, and I think you know it's a. It's, it's, I think, to be honest, I think it's going to be a higher scoring game than people think, um, because I think both offenses will be able to move the ball. Yeah, oh, I do too. And I mean, there's some, there's some, some work to be done about the coordinators on both sides of it. I mean, we got some glaring weaknesses over here on the Clemson side of it, um, mainly in in parts of that secondary. So it's okay. How do you, how do you take these pieces right here? maximize them as much as possible, play to their advantages and their strength. And I think that's where Brent Venables definitely makes his money at. So excited to no see doubt. what that looks like because Justin Fields is a different cat. I mean, he's silky smooth. He throws the ball. And the thing is, is like <clears throat> the routes that he's he's throwing, I mean, those aren't little boy routes. You know, he's throwing deep, wide comebacks to the field. He's throwing wide, wide field hitches. And, I mean, they're on a rope. And then when he runs, to me, he's as smooth as Terrell Pryor was when he stepped on that field and took off to run the ball. So excited to see what he looks like too, man, because you know he has a he has a hell of a story himself, and uh, excited to to really see if he can put it to to the test against Clemson. But I'll tell you what, man, um, James, I, I sincerely appreciate you jumping on the pod. Um, thankful that I got a chance to listen to you and hear your story, man. Obviously, you are a favorite of mine. I'm sure you're a favorite to to a lot of people who watch football over the years, but you know if you were if you were the linebacker for this Ohio State defense, right? And you stepped up into that locker room before the game started. What's the message that you tell that defense and you tell that team? Oh man, <laughs> it's you know it's one to leave everything out there on the field. That's all it is. Like no regrets. I've played in the BCS, two BCS title games, lost them both. Yeah. And those moments will haunt you. Um, so just leave absolutely nothing. Don't don't be scared to make a mistake. Just go play. You know. And I think that sometimes when you get in big situations, you got guys who ah, I don't want to be the guy to make the mistake. I don't want to. No, pull the trigger and just go. Right. You know what I mean? And it's easier said than done sometimes. But those coaches are doing great jobs getting prepared. And I think. The nice thing about this game on Saturday, man, is that both teams are well coached. Uh, both have great coordinators, and and you're going to see a really high level. To be honest, this is like a national title game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is a national title. Whoever wins this game is going to be sore, and they're going to have to a lot to kind of they're going to have a deep breath to kind of collect themselves, and then kind of re gear up for what we would expect to be LSU, right? So it's going to be a an absolute physical football game. Uh, and I think who whoever wins this one, you basically want a mini national title because these are two deserving teams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree with that one wholeheartedly as well. So, James, appreciate you, my man. Keep doing your thing. Keep raising those kids yeah, up right too, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. I love watching you play. And uh, obviously wish you would have been a Buckeye, but, you know, it's all right. <laughs> I still got a hat in the closet. Don't tell nobody, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I right, appreciate you, big guy. All right, man. Thank you. Absolutely. And Merry Christmas, bro. Thank you.